So I'm reading John chapter 1, verses 19 to 34. So let's hear God's Word. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Excuse me. As the prophet Isaiah said, Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there is one, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. And there again is God's holy word that abides forever. May he bless it to our souls as we hear it tonight. You know, there's a couple sad statements that I've heard often in my pastoral ministry uh, connected mostly uh, within uh, Reformed and as well within some conservative Christian circles that I have been a part of. One of the sad statements I've heard not a few times Uh, from Reformed theological people is this, that I really do not understand why we baptize our children. (laughs) And you can see that lack of understanding uh, breeds in them this uh, departure from uh, a Reformed setting where their children are regarded and included within the covenant promises of God to those more Baptistic settings where it's all about believers' baptism. And, and uh, that, that lack of understanding comes out in their transition along in the road of faith. Now, I'm not saying they're not brothers and sisters in the Lord who, who only baptize believers, but I'm saying there's that distinction that does exist. And another, I think, even sadder statement that I hear more often today than not is how baptism is not essential to salvation. 
So let's not make a big deal about it. Or something to that degree. And the challenge with that is while we might rightly say baptism is not essential to our salvation, baptism is is as an ordinance of God essential to our walk and life of faith. And to dismiss it so casually as unimportant and not a big deal is to deny even what Peter says in 1 Peter 3. Baptism saves. Now there he's not talking simply about the sign that we set upon people. But he is talking about the reality to which that sign points. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's the ways and means which God brings about our salvation. (laughs) Baptism does save. The baptism that God accomplishes in our life. And as an ordinance, the sacraments are of great significance to us, to the ways and means by which God conveys His covenant of grace. If baptism was not essential, not a big deal, then why did Jesus say, go and baptize the nations? (laughs) Baptize the people of the world who have come to faith in Christ. Why would He say that if it was not essential? So there is something to be said about understanding baptism. Uh, Baptism is an ordinance of Christ. He has instituted it. And, and Scripture affirms there is but one baptism. Even though we confess this, we understand there's a whole lot of debate and differences of theological understanding and application and practice within the visible church about what that one baptism is. But we all, I believe, agree there is one baptism. And I stress that because In our circles, we often get asked, why do you believe in infant baptism? And I'm at the point where I say, I don't believe in infant baptism. I believe in baptism. And if you are an adult who's never been baptized and you come to faith, we'll baptize you because we believe in baptism. And if you have a household uh, who is now going to be part of the visible church, we will baptize your household because we believe in baptism. Not believers' baptism, as some like to say, because we don't know the heart of everyone we baptize. Do we? And many people have been baptized, professing faith, and they have turned away from the faith too. But we still believe in baptism, don't we? (laughs) Because Christ has ordained it for the church. And there is but one baptism. And with all the differences that you see existing in Roman Catholicism, in Reformed and Presbyterian circles, in Baptistic Pentecostal circles, in all of those circles, we all confess there is one baptism. And Scripture teaches that. And saying all of that, we also understand that baptism is a huge subject like all of these uh, means of grace that one sermon will not cover. But I hope that this will at least lead you on the path of understanding it more and knowing it better in your own life. I'm looking out here, and I dare to say everyone here has been baptized. 
And I think the great question that we always need to ask is this, do you own your baptism? Do you believe in your baptism? And do you look to your baptism even tonight? Baptism is, as we see here, not just a, it's not simply a sign of faith. I think one of the things why I read from John's Gospel is that it brings out the clarity of what baptism is a sign of. And it is preeminently a sign of Jesus Christ. (laughs) And there we want to go. You look at verse 25 of our text and it's always one of those interesting questions. You can't interpret it any other way than, the, than how it is written there. The question they ask of John. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ? <laughs> and, and John, a uh, little further on, uh, reveals, I did not know Him, but that He should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. The Israelites knew that the sign of Christ was baptism. They were waiting for it. And when they heard John was baptizing, they didn't come up to him and ask him, what's this weird thing you're doing? Pouring water over people. They came and they said, are you the Christ? And he said, no, I'm not. And they said, well, why are you baptizing then if you're not the Christ? We're waiting for Him. And, and, and that tells us something about baptism, doesn't it? It's a sign of Christ. Not a sign of our faith, but a sign of Christ. And the Pharisees understood this from Scripture. Isaiah 52, verse 15. The servant of God, the suffering servant who will give his life, the servant upon whom God will lay all your sins and bring about your justification, that servant of Christ will come Sprinkling the nations. Sprinkling the nations. And Ezekiel 36, I will send forth my Spirit and He will wash you clean. He will baptize you and renew and regenerate your heart. And the sign of the Christ was, there, was what they were waiting for. To know the Christ. And the sign of baptism is the sign of Christ. That word... Uh, baptize, baptizo is the Greek word. I know uh, many uh, think it to be a word that means to immerse. Well, how it is used in the New Testament, how it is used in all of Scripture, uh, does not mean to immerse. To baptize can mean to dip, to wash, to make clean, to immerse. But it's also used in the New Testament to speak of God communicating His grace to His own people. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul speaks about how Moses led Israel through the Red Sea on dry land. And he says there that 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 was a sign of their baptism into Christ. (laughs) The whole of the nation. Now none of them got wet. But baptism was the symbol of what they were experiencing as they went through the Red Sea. Peter uses it in 1 Peter 3.20 to talk about Noah's experience in the flood and being on the ark 
and being raised up above God's judgment as God came with the waters of the flood over the whole of the earth and drowned in judgment those who were not His covenant people. And Peter says that was a type of baptism. And again, those who were on the ark did did not even get wet. (laughs) But what it signified was they were in their baptism raised above God's judgment upon the earth and delivered. They were saved by that baptism. And so you see, baptism has a lot of different meanings and we don't want to get caught up in the way baptism is performed to say that this is what it means, which often happens. We want to understand that baptism is a sign of Christ and the work that He does saving us. That's what it's a sign. Baptism is a a proper definition. Baptism is ordained by Christ where with the washing of water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that name of God is set upon a believer and his or her uh, household, signifying and sealing to them the promises of God. That's what baptism is. We are brought under the name of our God And the whole of our household is brought under the name of our God and it is signifying and sealing to us the promises of God. That's what baptism is. And I don't want want to downplay the need of profession of faith at all, but baptism is less about our profession of faith and far more about Christ and the promises of God sealed to us in Him. That's what it's about. What God promises to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you would turn in your bulletin to the back and you would see the larger and shorter catechism that I, I just chose these two questions. There's a few others that are there. But it asks that question, what is baptism? I've already given you a definition. But here this question brings to us the heart of baptism. And, and I want to say that the verse, the, what's written there, you don't have all the verses that are attached uh, to it in, in your bulletin, but I'm going to bring them out to you. But the heart of baptism, again, is about Christ and God's promises sealed to us in Him. Christ, as I said, has ordained baptism. It's the New Testament sign and seal of His work of grace. As it says, there are sacrament wherein Christ has ordained the washing with water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost to be a sign and seal of ingrafting into Himself, of remission of sins by His blood, regeneration by His Spirit, adoption and resurrection unto eternal life, and where the parties baptized are solemnly admitted into the visible church and enter into an open, professed engagement to be holy and only the Lord's. That's a full statement. 
But when you read it like that and you understand it as a sacrament, it is a big deal. <laughs> and we, we, want to, we want to lay hold of that and see what the heart of baptism is for us. And I'm just going to put it into two categories. Um, first of all being, it is an engrafting into Christ. Some of you may not know what engrafting is. Some of you do. If you grew up on an apple farm, you understand engrafting well. It's where you you take a branch and you cut a splice into a tree. You stick another branch in it and you seal it up and that branch becomes part of the tree. And, And that's the language that Paul uses in Romans 11 to talk about us as Gentiles being engrafted into the covenant people of God. And baptism has come as a sign and seal of that engrafting into Christ. Galatians 3.27 For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. And and again, to, to make this clear, Scripture nowhere says that baptism is symbolic of our faith. It doesn't. But it does say that baptism is very much a sign and seal of that reality of being in Christ. If you can capture the distinction there. It's a sign and seal of that reality of being in Christ. You're here in this worship service. Whether you profess faith or not, I look and see that all of you have received the sign. We can be deceived in respect of your profession of faith, but whether you realize it or not, that baptism that has been set upon you is a sign of engrafting into Christ. Not always savingly, but you can be in the covenant community and not be of the covenant community. And baptism in that way comes as a sign of what God has promised. And then what do you do with that promise? What do you do with your, with your life that has been connected so to Christ? Are you owning your baptism? It goes on there to stress about baptism. And this is where John brings it out. And I think we often miss it again with our baptism. That it's more connected to Christ, and especially of the work of the Holy Spirit and why He has been sent by Christ to effect His salvation within us. As John said, uh, I have come baptizing with water, but there's one who is coming after me, who's greater than me. He was before me, and He will come baptizing with what? The Holy Spirit. Again, the the thing that baptism signifies is that promised gift of the Holy Spirit to be upon us in our life. And that reality of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life is what effects our salvation. The Holy Spirit, if you turn to John chapter 3, the Holy Spirit is the one who brings about that washing that our souls need to be transferred from deadness to God to life in Christ. By the Holy Spirit, you have that work of regeneration where God makes you born again. (laughs) It's not something you can do yourself, is it? 
And that, that's the thing about, you get to John 3 when Jesus is there twice that you must be born again. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. But does He tell you to go out and be born again? No, He doesn't. He says you must be born again. But that's not something you can do. Which is why I'm sending the Holy Spirit and He will do this in your life. And He will work the glory of the promise of my salvation within you. It's what the Spirit does. And so you see again, baptism moves away from from us to what God promises He will do for us. And what we are looking for Him to do in our life. And in regeneration, the Spirit washes away that deadness to God. That, that, that deadness to God is broken. <laughs> and we are born again. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> I can't do that. As, as, you know, Nicodemus was right when he said, how can I enter my mother's womb and be born again? You know, you're right. You can't. <laughs> but my Spirit will come. Because you must be born of the Spirit. The Spirit not only deals with our deadness to God, but if you were to go to Romans chapter 6, and and there uh, we'll be looking at Romans 6 again, and I should say as an addendum to this, is I'm taking you through as a topical sermon, I'm taking you through a lot of Scripture texts very quickly this evening to deal with the issue of baptism. But you get to Romans 6. And there in verses 3 and 4, and he speaks about being baptized into Christ. We're baptized into His death. Uh, We're buried with Him through baptism into death. And as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. And baptism there becomes a, a sign of that, uh, of that grace of God that breaks the bondage of sin and being engrafted into Christ. We're not only born again by the work of the Spirit of God, but we're, we're united to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, where our bondage to sin has broken and we can now walk in new life for God. Is that something you can do in and of yourself? No. It's something the Spirit has done for us. And so the heart of baptism is about this union into Christ. The life He brings us. A new life where we are able to walk not in sin, but walk in the righteousness of our Lord and Savior. And I'll say it again so that we have it in our heads. Baptism is the sign of Christ. His grace toward us. And and with that uh, engrafting into Christ, the second part of the heart of baptism is our identity with Christ. Because as we are baptized into the name of our God, we are being set apart by God to be His. Many of you have heard me say this often. It's going to be said again. 
But baptism is a, a sacrament that takes us to the third commandment and realizing that we now have the name of God upon us. It signifies that we now belong to our God and God is our God. And you think about it with that third commandment of what it says there about not taking the Lord's name in vain. It comes back upon us. God's name is on me. Is it on me in vain or is it on me in life? Do I own this baptism? and regard myself as now belonging to God. And and in that identity that I have with Christ, it comes out again and again in Scriptures about how the Holy Spirit is now sealing to us that adoption that we have as the children of God. He's given us His Spirit so that we may call God our Father. Paul writes in Galatians 4, the Holy Spirit is a seal of adoption to you. You're no longer a slave, you're a son. You're enabled by the Spirit to pray and to seek God's mercy and care and help. You're enabled by the Spirit to cry out to God. Why? Because your identity is now in Christ and not in the world. You belong to Christ. And that's why rightly said, as, as the catechism question brings it out, and which I know and believe that all denominations affirm about baptism since it signifies our identity with Christ. We now belong to Christ. We now belong to Christ's body. Which is what? The church. And Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians 12, that, that very truth about our baptism, being baptized by the Holy Spirit. In, in uh, chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13, the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. So also is Christ. Christ is one body. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. That, that's... That identity with Christ. And when we understand baptism as such, and you see in the catechism, it brings it out. The parties baptized are solemnly admitted into the visible church and enter into an open and professed engagement to be holy and only the Lord's. Baptism has bearing on how we see the church, which has bearing on who the subjects of baptism are. And we'll come to that at the end. Who should be baptized? But when we understand it's talking about a new identity in in that unity with Christ and His body, it again comes and begs that question, do you own your baptism? Can you be baptized and be outside the church of Christ? And the answer is, no. (laughs) It's wrong. If you are baptized, you're with Christ. And like Paul says there, as the body is one and has many members, all that member, all those members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. So there's the heart of baptism and engrafting into Christ and an identity with Christ. But secondly, baptism also is an engagement to be holy and only the Lord's. 
I'm not reading the whole of the second catechism there, but I want to take you down to the, the, the bottom part of it where he talks about uh, being humbled for our, our, our sinful defilement, our falling short. What baptism engages us into, uh, the sealing to us of the blessings of God with this sacrament, where we draw strength from the death and resurrection of Christ into whom we are baptized for the mortifying of sin and the quickening of grace. And by endeavoring to live by faith, to have our conversation or our life, our walk, in holiness and righteousness as those that have therein given up their names to Christ. Baptism is an engagement of your life to be holy to the Lord. It has set you apart. It's sort of like this, if if I could use an analogy. We're baptized only once. As in being born. (laughs) But like our birthday, we are to experience our baptism the whole of our life in growth and maturity in Christ. And by our baptism, we are engaged into a life of righteousness. Again, if you go back to to Romans 6. Isn't that what Paul talks about there as he begins that chapter talking about being baptized into Christ and then being raised uh, with Christ in His resurrection. It's so that we can walk in that newness of life where we're no longer behaving as slaves to sin, but now as slaves to righteousness. And because we belong to God, and because... Christ has has worked to bring about an end to our enslavement to sin. What God is saying to you, now look to your baptism. Know the name that is upon you. Own it. Stop presenting yourself as a servant of sin. Now present yourself as a servant for righteousness. It's an engagement of our life to a life of holiness to the Lord. A life of consecration. A life where we acknowledge that we have been set apart from this world and we now belong not to the kingdom of this world, but to the kingdom of God. And where in Christ we take our salvation from sin seriously because we are now the people of God. You know, it it comes to that point again, you may not, see your baptism. But you know you've been baptized. And one of our great prayers ought to be as God's people. His Father, as I have by Your grace been set apart for You, and as I now wear and bear the name of God before this world, as I have been baptized into Christ, help me live as one of Your children. That That's... Owning your baptism. That's being engaged by God into a life of holiness. You are now the people of God. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Now glorify God in your body and in your soul, which are His. And the last point that I do want to make, and that's in the realm of the subjects of baptism, because that's always the controversy. But 
Again, I can take you to Scripture passages, uh, Romans 4, Colossians 2, where we can see and understand that baptism has replaced circumcision as that sign and seal of God's engrafting of a people into His kingdom. Paul speaks in Romans 4 of Abraham who received the sign of God's covenant. God's promise to be God to him and to his descendants after him. God's promise where Abraham by faith received the righteousness of God that is only received by faith. That that promise was sealed to him with the sign of circumcision. You can read in Colossians 2, 11-15 and see how baptism now takes over as that sign, the new covenant sign in Christ. And as circumcision was a sign and seal of the righteousness by faith, Romans 4.11, so too is baptism a sign and seal of the righteousness of God that is received by faith. And as circumcision sign, uh, was a sign uh, of the promise that God would be God to Abraham and his children after him, so too baptism makes that promise. Promise of God. You go to Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 38 and 39, when the people heard the message of the Gospel. Peter preached on that day of Pentecost and they were cut to their hearts. They said, what must we do? And Peter said to them, what? Most of you know those words. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children. The promise is to you and to your children. The promise of what? The promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the One whom Jesus would send to effect His salvation within the lives of all that God had given to Him. And that promise falls under that same covenant God made. That covenant God made with Abraham is called an everlasting covenant. Not a temporary covenant. Not a covenant until Jesus comes. But an everlasting covenant where I will be God to you and to your children. And with the sign of baptism, that promise is still there. We can thank the Lord for that. Believing adults and their children receive the sign. Why? Because they belong to the visible church. Now that, that's hard for us to comprehend, but I have never known a Christian parent who has come to faith and been baptized who hasn't taken up that responsibility immediately to begin to teach their children to believe and obey the Lord Jesus. Do you know of any? It's almost automatic, isn't it? Because they recognize their children now belong to who? God. And, and, and where does that come from? It comes from the promise of God's Word. I'm going to be God to you and to your children after you. We sang a couple psalms that spoke about that. You go to Mark 10. I know Mark 10 doesn't speak about baptism, but it does speak about how the Lord regards 
the children of those who believe in Him. <laughs> and the Lord Jesus stated emphatically in Mark 10.14 that these infants, these little children, they belong to the kingdom of God. He doesn't make it past tense or future tense. He says, they now, present tense, belong to the kingdom of God. And that's why we regard them as belonging to the visible church and worthy of the sign and seal of God's promise. Because baptism and its efficacy is not limited to the time of baptism any more than circumcision was limited to the time of circumcision. Baptism is pointing to God who promises. And whether you are an adult or a child, God is promising to save you from your sins, to deliver you from death, and to bring you into His eternal kingdom by His Son. Do you believe that promise? Look to your baptism. Why were you baptized? Because... It's all about Christ and the promises that God has made to us in Him. It's interesting, just to take you back to our text. I know I'm spending more time on this, but this becomes the subject of many of our conversations. And dear Christians, I know you need help in, in standing in this. But if you look at our text and you go to verse 33, did John baptize because the promise of the Spirit had come? Or did He baptize because Christ was coming and He would effect that promise in due time? Well, He says there, He was baptizing, but the Holy Spirit had not yet been sent. (laughs) But He still baptized, didn't He? Because God had promised, I will send My Spirit. I will pour out My Spirit. My Son will sprinkle the nations. My spirit will wash and regenerate the souls of my people. And so the baptism that John accomplished on all those people wasn't tied to the timing of the promise. It wasn't limited to the time of baptism. It was all about God who said, I will do this. It's all about Christ. Christ is the one who makes effectual your baptism. Look to your baptism. Own it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Know His salvation. Be His believing, holy, and righteous people. Let the name of the Lord be upon you in truth and life for Jesus' sake. Amen.